You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geiser and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Uniquely Human by Dr. Barry Prezant. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back, everybody, to the SLP Book Club. Today, we thought we would do something a little bit different and sort of do a year recap since it's been a year since we've been doing the podcast. So since we're in the season of, you know, new year, starting a new whatever, I thought maybe we could just talk and sort of share some insights we've had with you. And we hope you enjoy it. So I'm going to get started. Laura, what was your favorite overall book that we've read this year? Okay, this was kind of hard, but one just really jumped to my mind. It was Lisa Murphy on play. Oh my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I chose this book because the way the book was written, the emotion it brought out in us and the way it just pointed out how so much of what we're doing with really young children, especially recently, isn't developmentally appropriate or natural. Yes. And I love the response we got from our listeners and people we connect with on Instagram when we were reading that book. It really felt like we had this big group who was all reading along and really incredibly engaged, which tells you something about the book, obviously. Yeah. And then I also just noted, even though I feel like it would be almost exactly the same, I would be interested in reading her her second book, Lisa Murphy on being child-centered for the book club even this year because it was so good. The way she writes, I just, I want to hear more of her stories, you know? (laughs) Me too. She's so passionate. I love that. I feel like it really came through. Okay, so she comes up in some of my answers later on, Yeah, but I have to say my favorite book was probably Seeds of Learning just because it provided such, I don't know, it was so, like, gave me such a shift in perspective. I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I have never probably in my entire career had such a shift in thinking about speech and language disorders, the way that that book made me shift my perspective. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, looking back on Seeds of Learning, I go, it's so obvious. It's right there in front of our faces, all the stuff she talks about. And we kind of just accept we get these kids that come to us and we describe what their deficits are. And we just go, those are the deficits. That's what we need to work on. And it was right in front of our face. No, look deeper. What's what's underneath that's contributing to this deficit in speech and this one in reading? And like, it was just... (laughs) Now I'm like, wait, did we even need that book? But yes, we did. We needed somebody to point it all out to us, right? This is what I wrote when I was thinking about this. I was like, sustained attention is so important and we either completely forget about it or undervalue it. And ADHD is such a common co-diagnosis, you know, for the kids we work with that like, wow, just thinking about that. Of course, if you can't sustain your attention, you're not going to be learning new concepts. Everything's going to be more difficult language, articulation, the whole gamut. Yeah. I love that book. Isn't it also kind of strange that before we read the book, we didn't know who Tara Sumter was? I had no idea. We're all connected on social media, but then there are these corners where like certain people <laughs> live and it's kind of exactly. like you might only interact with a bunch of like TPT sellers that are big on Instagram. And then some people are more on the like research right. or medical side. It's, it's all kind of in these little buckets, like sectioned off. And we, for some reason, hadn't even ever seen her or heard of her work and found this book magically, like just Amazon recommended it. 
nobody even told us about it, right? I know. Yes. Like, I wish that they were using the the book as curriculum in grad programs because I feel like it's that big of a deal. So maybe the answer, Laura, is that we just need to contact our alumni school and be like, hey, you know, we would like to teach a class. <laughs> we <laughs> have an idea. So quick. <laughs> the students can read that book one in one week, you know, like one week, and then you just talk about what you learned in it. And it would totally change the way they go into the field. Yeah. What's the name for that? Where it's like not a full course. It's just like a seminar. Yeah. Right. Like we do like a week long seminar. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay, so let me ask you a question, Adrian. What is the book that changed your therapy the most? Okay, for me, I have to say it was Lisa Murphy on play. Okay. <laughs> I know, like, I think we're going to be talking about it a lot. But it brought so much understanding to me as a therapist, kind of like what you talked about, just regarding how everybody is pushing academics on these kids who are not developmentally ready for it. And I felt like, again, was a big perspective shift for me. And since I have been working more in the early intervention area, you know, I have made so much of my therapy play based almost because of that book. And it's I can still target all the same goals through play. And it's helped me a lot, especially with my work with younger kids. Yeah. I know you were already pretty play-based before that book. Yeah, I was play-based, but it also just sometimes we need that extra push that lets us know that what we're doing is okay when we're play-based and in talking to parents because, you know, I work with a lot of kids at the preschool level and, you know, they kind of struggle with the preschool programs they've put their kids in, which one's the best for them, should it be really play-based, should it be Montessori, and I see that struggle here in LA now because I have more clients that are around three and four years old, like in the heart of LA, where their parents have made choices at this age. And, you know, maybe you think, oh, well, I've heard it's a good school, so I'll send my kid there. But really, we learned it is such a big deal. And I don't want to put that pressure on parents, but. I don't think a, pr a program has to be really expensive for it to be good. You know, it doesn't have to be have a high reputation for it to be good or it has to have a high reputation. It doesn't have to be the school, a feeder school for like some big private school that you really want your kids to go to, to be a good school. And it would be nice if we could shift that. Yeah. You know, on that same note, I do feel like the most expensive schools are the ones that push academics the most. Like they feel like like we're so academically based. Everybody should be happy to come here. We're going to charge a bunch of money for that. I don't think I told you this story. I was talking to a parent and we were talking about a certain Montessori school. And she told me that <laughs> she sent one of her kids there for a little bit and then took them out. And she said, when I went there the first time, there were all these three and four year olds. And the place was like totally quiet just so quiet. And I thought, wow, that's so great. <laughs> They're able to like get all these kids to be so quiet. And she goes, and then I left and I kept thinking about it. And I thought, no, something's wrong. Why is that place so, what are they doing to those kids that's making them so quiet? Kids that age should be loud. And I was like, yes, 
Yes, you had the right instinct. Girl, I have a book recommendation for you. <laughs> I, I was like, I mean, she already had her, her kid that she sent there is a lot older now. And she only sent them for a little bit and then took them out. So she had the right instinct. And it's true. Like Lisa Murphy gives those lists. She's like, that. it should be loud. And I also remember <laughs> that Lisa said that like parents should trust their gut when it comes to schools. And I mean, not to get on our soapbox, but I know that's part of the problem is it's kind of like this information is put out there. It almost feels like on purpose to confuse parents and make them second guess themselves like, oh, well, everybody says this is such a good school. Mm-hmm. Maybe my child has to go there too if I want them to have this advantage in life. But parents should trust their gut. Yeah. I think that's really valid. Yeah. How about you, Laura? Oh, so the one that changed my therapy the most is Seeds of Learning. So we're flip-flopped on those first two answers. You know, like I already said, just in order to make a real difference, we need to be addressing the underlying causes of the deficits we see and not just putting Band-Aids on the problem. And then I just wrote outside the book a lot of what Tara says and what I learned when I was a member of her community about how to create plans and use reflexive questioning. Those two things have really changed my therapy, especially, you know, I think that she doesn't even talk about it very much, but like reflexive questioning with kids who stutter is really helpful. So it's really changed my therapy. I love that we're just answering the same books, flip-flopping them. Okay. Which book do you think about the most? Beyond Behaviors. (laughs) Oh. Um, Having a better understanding of how our physiological states impact our behaviors just is popping into my mind all the time. Like I'll be at the store and observe a person acting a certain way or a child acting a certain way. And I just feel like I have so much more understanding. And then obviously with my own clients as well, and even with myself, I'm just better able to recognize if I'm acting kind of bratty or like, I'm like, sure. Are my needs met right now? Am I hungry? Am I tired? Am I on the red pathway for some reason? Am I on the green? You know, like, it's just, you think about it a lot. After you hear that information, you start looking at the world differently. So it, it does come up in my mind. Absolutely. What about you? Which which book do you think about the most often? Um, so my answer is, again, Seeds of Learning. And I think just because it produced like that huge perspective shift for me, I'm always thinking wow, like what is happening in this moment that is causing, you know, this difficulty X, Y, or Z, you know, whatever, especially like regulation. I look at people around me and I just feel like, wow, like, I don't know, I think about myself. (laughs) Even though like, I don't think either you or I really struggle with attention, you know, the way that people with ADHD do. It's like still executive functioning is so key for everything we do in life. And I just... I mean, I'm a big fan. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me ask you this. What book changed you the most as a person first, therapist second? Okay, this answer may surprise you. It kind of surprised me when I was thinking about it. (laughs) Uh, My answer is smart but scattered. Oh, especially the quiz, because when we took that quiz, I don't know. I just feel like I never would have done that self-examination to be like, Wow, where am I? Where are my deficits with executive functioning? I think I just, you know, if you're not having like serious struggles in your personal life or in your work life, you don't really think about it. But especially when we learned you and I that we're not flexible <laughs> and that flexibility is actually the key trait yeah. that makes everything in your life easy. It's just, it's helped me to understand like, okay, why, why am I having this conflict with this person? Why? 
why this person all the time, right? And it has a lot to do with those executive functioning, not necessarily deficits, maybe areas of relative weakness, but it has given me a lot of room. It's brought to my attention where I have room to grow, I guess is the right way to say it. Yeah. Okay. I know. What about you? Well, I like your answer. I feel like it's more, it more applies to the question than mine. Because for me, I said the whole brain child, because that book is less about specifically like the kids we work with who have deficits in certain areas or behavior. This book is really about every kid. So in my everyday interactions with kids who aren't my clients. This book is what I'm always thinking about. Yeah. Like in the way I talk to my friends and family members who are parents, even this year, someone I know, they had a tragic loss. A child's mom was killed and it was a friend of the kid I know. And so talking to that parent and being able to really share a lot of the information that I had learned, you might want to, you know, avoid talking about it. That's our instinct. But like, Really keep talking about it, encourage him to express his feelings about it, make sure you're adding in facts that maybe he doesn't understand or wouldn't know because he was at an age where he could talk about it's not like he was super super young it's like what I learned so much when we read whole brain child was a lot of our instincts as people when we interact with kids where we go oh I shouldn't talk about that I'll do more harm like I'll keep bringing it up and it'll it'll mess them up or something. And it really taught us that it's actually the exact opposite of that, that we want to be doing. So it made me think a lot about interactions I've had with kids in the past, how wrong they were. (laughs) Yeah. Choose to do things differently moving forward, but not even, not even as much with the kids I work with, just more like, you know, with my nieces and nephews, with, you know, my friends, kids. Yeah. So I was thinking a lot about whole brain child too, because it really helped me to be a better parent, Mm -hmm. as well as a better therapist. And for the same reasons, like exactly what you're saying. But also, it was such a foundational book. Like, I feel like, because we kicked off the podcast with that book, as we were reading all of these other books, it kept coming up. And it was like, This is really foundational information and I wish more people were aware because that emotional intelligence component is so huge. Mm -hmm. And now I see like my daughter doing something. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's because of this. And then I have strategies to help. And that is so huge. Like, otherwise, I don't know. I guess we would just be doing what we've always done, which wasn't horrible, but maybe wasn't the best. (laughs) Isn't that interesting, too, that I wish we had a count. It might have been only two books, but it did feel like a lot of people. I know Dr. Delahook brought up the authors of Whole Brain Child. I know Marilee Springer brought them up. Multiple books we read didn't just talk about ideas from that book, like literally named those authors and talked about their cited theories. It. Yeah, like cited that book. And we might have just brushed over that. Yes, absolutely. That's why I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, this is huge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm patting us on the back. <laughs> I know. We picked some good books this year. We didn't know what yeah. we were doing, yet it all worked out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, I just like the cover of that one. <laughs> it was great for social media. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Laura, if you had to pick from all the books we read, what were your top three books? Okay, I don't think any surprises here. It'd be Seeds of Learning, Lisa Murphy on Play, and Beyond Behaviors. What about you? Seeds of Learning, Whole Brain Child, Smart But Scattered. 
Okay. Oh, wait, I can't believe Lisa Murphy's not in there. <laughs> she is. She is. Trust me. <laughs> You're like, she's It's so boring. hard, but everyone's amazing. How do you pick? <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. okay. Adrian, if you had to use a couple of words to describe your big takeaway from all of the books we've read this year, what would it be? Okay. So this was a little bit hard for me. I had to really think about it. But my answer is ask why slash be curious. Okay. And I feel like that, again, was showing up in like all of these books as this kind of like foundation. Like if you are curious, if you are open minded, you will be a better friend, a better parent, a better aunt, a better therapist. I feel like that was like the crux of Lisa Murphy on play, uh, Beyond Behaviors, The Whole Brain Child, Uniquely Human, all of these books, I feel like you could just boil it down to just ask why, go deeper, be curious about the reason why things are happening instead of just marching forward. Okay, that's... Did I steal your answer? You stole my answer because exactly what I was going to say was dig deeper. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Just dig deeper. And that's another, it would be so funny if we looked through each book and saw how many of them used kind of like a heading, a subheading, or the name of a chapter was something like ask why. Yeah. They all do say that. All of these books are like, but why? A kid is doing this. Don't just use traditional behavior therapy to try to extinguish the behavior. Ask why. Why is he doing it? Yes. Yeah, they all did kind of give us the same message and have changed who we are because now we do ask why. Even the loving push, even that book, I feel like it was like, ask why your adult child with autism doesn't want to drive. Ask why they're stuck in their room and they are playing video games. They don't want to come out. It was like, yeah, everything kind of boiled down to that. So, okay. So Laura, what book do you recommend the most to parents or teachers or other SLPs? I have been recommending Beyond Behaviors, even though I tell people it's like a heavy, it's a big read. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But I just think it was so I think it was so valuable. And then for SLPs, especially, I always say the seeds of learning. And I'm like, you can read it in a day. Just read it. (laughs) Yes. Okay, I have to say the same. I recommend seeds of learning to other SLPs, not really to parents. Because I do feel like it's a little not theoretical, but it's a little I think the information is best distilled through the therapist to the parents. Yeah. But to parents, I find myself in IEPs, and I mean, this might be because I'm I'm at a middle school right now, but I find myself recommending Smart But Scattered a lot. Okay, yeah. Because I feel like I have so many parents, you know, whose children have ADHD and they have questions about routines or they have questions about backpack organization or big projects and where the team is so kind of quick to push like an accommodation. I feel like it's so easy to be like, well, maybe we can, you know, put a simple step-by-step routine in place and support in a different way instead of just giving like extra time yeah, or reduced workload. And I feel like Smart But Scattered, even though, again, it is a big read, I feel like it's really parent-friendly. So. And you don't have to read. If you're a parent coming at Smart But Scattered, you don't have to read the whole thing because if you took 
if you did one of those questionnaires for your kids on their executive functioning skills and you found which areas they're struggling with, you just go straight to those chapters. They've got those ready-made plans. But then there's also that emphasis with each skill on creating a plan with the child. So you have buy-in from the kid. You really like help them to take initiative. And then it has all those steps for like fading support until the child reaches independence. It's just like, that book was really good. I think we were at a point where we wanted to read one book. If we had done that again, if we did Smart But Scattered now, we would have spread it over two or even three months, I bet. But we were like really trudging through, like, just like, we've got to get through this giant book. (laughs) this textbook in one month. Remember we got it and I was like, this is a textbook. (laughs) This is a textbook. You picked that one. You saw it in the flesh, didn't you? At the library. (laughs) I saw it at the library and I was like, this sounds good. Like before we knew what we were getting into. Oh my gosh. Okay. This one's a good one. Adrian. Yeah. (laughs) What's the funniest thing? You've learned about me this year in our conversations. Okay, listen. (laughs) I have several favorite moments. (laughs) Okay, I loved learning. I loved when we did our ghost story uh, sharing. And I loved learning about your sister. Like, that freaks me out to this day. So, love that moment. Yeah, okay. I loved learning that you enjoy going to the dentist and getting your teeth cleaned. That was like... What a great fact to have about you in my back pocket at all times. Like, I don't know when it's going to come in handy, uh-huh. but it will. <laughs> and also, I am still just dead that when we were playing Like It, Love It, Leave It, you loved chips. Given chips, <laughs> chocolate, and cheese. <laughs> like, love chips. Like, I'm dead over that. I don't know why. I do. I love them so much. <laughs> Okay, since we're talking about it, share again, what's your favorite kind of chip? (laughs) My favorite chip, which I don't even know if it's considered a chip, are Chester's hot fries. But like I will say last night, the chip of choice, (laughs) the chip that was being eaten in this house was Flamin' Hot Nacho Doritos. Okay. The spiciest Dorito you can get. (laughs) Yeah, I do They're almost like uncomfortable. Okay, but like... I have questions. Questions are coming to mind. Is a Cheeto a chip? I know it is in the chip category, but like, I know it doesn't look like a chip. It doesn't taste like a chip. Is there potato involved? There is potato. A Cheeto is made with potato, I believe, like a potato starch, something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've looked up the ingredients. Modified potato starch. Does that sound right? <laughs> Sounds frightening, but tastes so good. Let me tell you, because I also chose three things that I learned about you that okay, were my favorite. Yeah, awesome. Okay, share. Number one, that you're allergic to Florida. <laughs> Number two, <laughs> that you once attended a live taping of Battle Bots. <laughs> and number three, that you cheat at Scrabble <laughs> by just putting back X's and Z's and stuff when you get them. Okay, listen, I am never going to live down this Scrabble thing. I mean, I have people in my life who are now like, you cheat at games, period. I'm like, I don't cheat at games. And I feel like my wins during Scrabble are like, I don't know, they're like diminished because everyone's like, where did you cheat? There's an asterisk. (laughs) It happened twice with my sister. (laughs) 
And now all of a sudden I'm like labeled the Scrabble cheater. I just feel like it's undeserved. I never should have said yeah. that. I regret it. That's my big regret. <laughs> well, once again, that would have been cheating at the game. If you didn't admit it, you would have been cheating. So cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. Here. Cheater. <laughs> but then you know what? Also in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, if everybody thinks I'm a cheater, maybe I'll just be like Embrace it. carte blanche. Embrace like, it. I'm going to be cheating during Yahtzee. Don't look at me. I'm going to put the dice back and roll again. This is my fourth roll. Who knows? <laughs> Ooh, I kind of want to play Yahtzee now. That just uh, sparked Yahtzee, something. Yahtzee, we played it on Christmas. Oh my gosh. I love Yahtzee really and Boggle. Fun. I know those are numbers and letters different, but just kind of like games that okay, games that were always at my grandparents' house. <laughs> okay, listen. First of all, on Christmas Day we played Yahtzee, and my cousin got two Yahtzees. Oh my gosh, two! Yeah, it's crazy. And the whole table is like Yahtzee, like going. What crazy. are the odds? <laughs> I don't. Something about like it kind of feels like when you're playing craps in Vegas, like everybody's yeah. like, get it, get it, Yahtzee, Yahtzee, you know? Yeah. Oh, I also have a game recommendation for you that I think you're gonna love. Okay. It is a New York Times game and it is called Connections. Okay. So to play it, you you can play once a day. It's really fun. It's um 24 different words and you break them down into categories of four. So you like group them. Mm -hmm. And it's like really fun because I think we're like word people, obviously. Yeah. So it'll be like um like pop, bang squish um bark and then you put them all together and it's like onomatopoeia or yeah whatever, you know okay okay so and sometimes that's... it's like i don't know it's really fun all right i'm gonna try it out and you get four opportunities to make a mistake mm -hmm. and then you can like share your results so send it to me and i'll send it to you that's fun. okay that's our new thing all right <laughs> and i am allergic to florida and i really stand by that <laughs> Um, Laura, what was it, the funniest moment from any of the books we read? What came to mind? Okay. I was like racking my brain. I was like, I know there's probably something funny in Lisa Murphy that I'm forgetting, but what I'm going to go with, oh, oh my gosh, another one just came to my head, but I'm going to stick with this. <laughs> Roz Blackburn being super unimpressed after attending the London premiere of Avatar with Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> Hands down, funniest thing. <laughs> just being like, oh, some movie. Whatever. It was crowded and loud. <laughs> Love <Okay>. that. <laughs> I was thinking my hot contender was her sh shining the mirror light in people's eyes on the plane. I was like, that's unhinged. That's wild. What's your answer? Is that your answer? And my answer was the mirror? Lisa Murphy on play when she was talking about all the things you could paint with. And she brought up the nose. The nose as a paintbrush that just, I don't know. <laughs> That's yes, not me. Yes. Well, the other one, which is kind of sad because the family was horrified, was the child who was potty training who used the display <laughs> toilet at Home Depot to go to the bathroom. Oh. We don't want to make fun of that kid, but that's a moment that hopefully that family can look back and laugh on. Like he said that friends. he said yeah. in the moment it was horrifying, uh, paralyzing. <laughs> yeah. But afterwards, everyone laughed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so do you have any other things you want to mention? Any goals for the next year with the podcast? Resolutions? Yeah, so I think when I was thinking about it, I feel like I want to read more books that are really child-centered, like Lisa Murphy on play. So I'm really glad you brought up her second book because 
I feel like that would be a really good choice. Mm-hmm. I just loved everything about that book, her passion, um, that we both were feeling so passionate after reading it. Yeah. So I would love to read more books like that. And just in general, I would like us to have more like game changing moments, realizations, just to help us continue to grow as parents and SLPs. What about you? I wrote that I'm just really grateful that we started this book club. You know, it can be a lot of work at times, but because I feel like we are both really passionate about it, it doesn't feel like work and it's strengthened our friendship and we've made new connections with SLPs that we would have never made and we've learned a ton and become better therapists because of it. So for the next year, I'd just like to find more ways to connect with people who are reading and listening with us. You know, we've talked about different things we might do, like maybe a virtual meeting every month or something like some way of forming even more bonds, more connections, and then hopefully going to ASHA this year so we can meet people in person that we talk to and who listen. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited. You know, it's crazy that we just started this out of the blue a year ago and what a little journey. <laughs> I know. Like thinking about 2023, I mean, there were some highs for me and some like serious lows. <laughs> it was a really crazy year. And uh, the book club was, it was really important to me and it really was a bright spot for me. So I'm also really thankful that we did this. Yeah. And I think I never would have, this is probably the most nonfiction books I've ever read in a year in my life, except for grad school when we had to read textbooks. But like, you know, by choice, it's pretty wild. It is so rare for me to read a nonfiction book start to finish, intro to conclusion, every last word. Cover to cover. Yes, like (laughs) never happens. I get them with the best intentions and then they just, like I read about half, I get really fired up. Yeah. Read about half of it and then it sits on the shelf, you know. So this was... It's good to stick it out to the end of a book. <laughs> you learn you learn a lot. I think I cried on the last page of Lisa Murphy on play. Oh my God. You're all, highly recommend finishing the book, everyone. <laughs> Finish the <laughs> That's book. That's my it's my hot take from starting a book club <laughs> podcast. <laughs> So your words to sum up all the books we read, just finish it. <laughs> finish books. Aww. Okay, everyone will be hope. You have enjoyed this past year with us. We're so thankful to you for listening. And we cannot wait to see what 2024 holds for the SLP Book Club. Bye, Laura. Bye, Adrian.